Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 17, Gathering Project Scope and Requirements. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike? Oh, yeah, this week has been an interesting one. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you know, Matt, uh, so it was pretty much a grind week, I would say, because I had to try to balance my workload for clients and complete the entire infrastructure of the front end and back end, uh, other than the UI design, because Matt handles that, for the hat HTML all the things website. Um, that was quite the challenge, and it involved, I think, every day at least twelve hours of work a day, uh, because there's a lot of things that I'm not like extremely uh, strong on, uh, especially in the back end. I'm trying to get my backhand skills up up to par, but like it's a very you know slow and grueling process. And then when you get to deployment, I'm even farther back. Like I I know Apache a little bit, but as soon as like I I, I we're doing a completely different stack this time. It's uh, we're using Nginx and we're using Docker to deploy onto DigitalOcean. Like it's a whole thing. <laughs> and I it's I really wanted to learn it, and I'm happy that I went through it. But man, was it a um. It's definitely a grind, and I, I hope uh, I hope we're gonna have it out soon, and people will be able to see it and use it, and actually have you know some learning to do on it, and that that it'll be for something. But uh, yeah, that was my week, so stay tuned for HTML all <laughs> the things. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, well, yeah. What What about you, Matt? <laughs> I can hear the I can hear the. Uh... The tiredness, I don't know if that's a word, but the tiredness in your in your voice there. But uh, you did a great job with that, and I think that it's an attestment to uh, our skill and your skill, more specifically this week, into like how quickly we can adapt. Because, I mean, only 12-hour days for a week got us through, like, I'm going to just guess, like, a five or six technologies we've never used before. And, you know, it's up and running, you know, um, in terms of a test environment anyway, right? It's not like we're sitting there struggling with the first step. So, I mean, that's really yeah. good. Um, so yeah, so this website is finally incoming. We've been saying this since the first episode, episode 17 now, uh, but like it is coming with, we're working on it and, uh, it's going to be like a, a bit of a hub for us. Um, my week was a little bit different. So I did a, a little bit of the UI stuff, but I, I left, so I did a, a big UI update for HTML, all the things, uh, maybe a week or two ago now. And then Mike was, you know, dealing with the merging and all that stuff. So I, I you know, kind of had to step back and just kind of let him, you know, get the merging and that type of stuff figured out because we don't want to add weird UI problems to, you know, an already complex situation. So I kind of backed off in that regard. And I was working on a lot of kind of like, I mean, yeah, client work, but a lot of like, so kind of social media stuff. And I've been kind of educating myself on you know how to you know, how to like build an audience and that type of thing like it's 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 something that's known there's a lot of like tips out there that you hear like have good content and you know make sure you get discovered and stuff but it's like okay well how like what is considered good content what is considered good uh, or what is considered uh, you know something that can get discovered in in a discovery feed of sorts or what is considered shareable so you know uh, we've been, you know, we've been rather successful on Instagram, for example, but like, you know, we're trying to figure out how exactly what is working and we're, we're looking at the insights now because it's been a few months. So we're able to sort of have some data and, and learn the real intricacies. Um, but with that, I, we have a bit of a request from you guys, the audience. So I don't really use Reddit very often and, 
Uh, I think that might be really obvious. I know Mike is more of a Redditor. He doesn't really post much, but he reads a lot and he kind of gets the ins and outs of it. And for the last few weeks, especially in our show notes and like even still in our show notes, I should say, uh, there is a Reddit link, uh, in the where you can find us, but the Reddit has not been, the subreddit specifically for us has not been updated in a while. And, uh, well, I had a discussion with Mike a couple of weeks ago, um, off Mike and we were talking about like the Reddit, because I, I was a little bit confused. I was like, well, if most of the subreddits don't allow you to do a self-promotion, why is it that I'm on my own subreddit posting? And Mike was saying that, you know, you're really kind of not supposed to be. You're supposed to be letting the community sort of take over. Now, it was always our intention to get some community moderators and some community people in there. And I think even in one of the descriptions, I don't know whether it only shows in the old Reddit or only the new. I think it only displays on one of them. But it even says, like, let's get the conversation going, you know, share your work and that type of thing. So it was always my intention to, you know, have a community running it there. Um, however, uh, I didn't really realize that I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't be, I don't know if it's Reddicate or what you'd call it, but I, I didn't really realize that you shouldn't be necessarily just constantly posting your own stuff. So I think what I'm, well, what I, what I am asking, what we are asking is that if somebody out there is interested in running our subreddit um, as a moderator, an admin or whatever, I'm still new to the system. So I got to kind of figure out my terminology in that regard. But if you want to help us run the Reddit, the subreddit specifically, um, we'd really appreciate it because I understand it's supposed to be community driven and, and that type of thing. So if you could email, email me, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but I'll read it out. It's, uh, Matt underscore Lawrence at digital dynasty.ca. If you email me there, uh, in the subject, just put like, uh, you know, HTML, all the things subreddit or subreddit or something like that. And, uh, I'll be checking through those. I'm going to, uh, I, like I, like I said, there's, I don't know how many people we're going to be having as admins or anything. Like I'm totally new to this. So, you know, if you don't get selected, I'm, I'm sorry. But uh, we are kind of reaching out to the community now and being like, hey, guys, like, you know, we have quite a bit of content coming out, quite a few podcast episodes. And we do want to have a presence on Reddit. But we also want to be abiding by the proper Reddit as it's known. So that's just my all call. If you're interested in that, please send us an email and or send me an email and uh, I'll get back to, you know, whoever we select or whatever. Um, so in, feel free to include, obviously, your experiences in your email, why you want to do it. You know, just basically assume you're applying for a job in that email. I'm not looking for anything specific in there, but I will be reading through it and the best one wins, essentially. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So now that that's now that that's gone and now that now that uh, now that we're moving on here, I think we should introduce the show. So as we always do. Um, we always do our segments. So segment number one is the contact segment. Number two is gather project requirements. And segment number three is changing project requirements. So I'm just doing a little, little brief introduction before I jump into the first segment here. So what what we'll be, what we'll be discussing today is gathering the project scope and requirements from customers. So it's not so it's not like, so we're we're not like doing very precise things with it. Like we're not saying like, make sure you use this program and do this and do that. What we're talking about is literally the communication component of gathering the requirements, right? If a customer comes to you, uh, however they come to you, however you generate leads, you know, how, how do you deal with it? And, and the different types of leads that you could potentially generate, we'll, we'll get into that. And this is a very critical step and, and, and it's very critical because you know, you need to ensure that whatever deliverable, whether it be a website or web app or an application that they order is actually done correctly. And assuming the communication went perfectly, which it never does, but assuming the communication went perfectly 
and you delivered exactly what the what the communication asked for, you won't have any problems in the future, maybe an update in the future, something like that. But the deliverable on the deadline will be exactly what they asked for and you won't really have any problems. So this is why this is such a critical piece and it's very difficult. We're not perfection. We're not perfect at this. I don't think anyone is, but we have gotten a lot better at it over the years. So I'm going to jump into the first segment here. Segment number one, the contact. So there's a lot of different ways for a customer to contact you. And I'm not referring specifically to the actual methods like email or an SMS or something like that, but rather like what they say to you, what that communication's like. So some, so as a kind of a high level example, like some more, some people are more hands-on, others are completely, you know, clueless and they just want to hand the reins to the professional, right? Like they're making garden tools or something like that. And they just like, I know I need a website, but I don't want to look at that. I just want to call these web dev guys and have them do it. So, you know, there's people like that. Then there's also some quick and to the point guys, and they kind of leave you with very little details. And these type of people are um, what we'll generally describe them as is sort of the serial entrepreneur. They know what they need and they, and they are very, very busy. So they just, you know, bang, bang, bang. I want it quick, quick, quick. Let's get it done. Like, you know, what's the price, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But despite how many details these customers give you, every single project is unique to some degree and will require at least one, a one-off feature or two. So something that's very unique to them. And even if like their project seems very run of the mill, like, oh no, a template would do this. Everyone's business strategies and goals are different. So in general, there will be a one-off feature or two. So because of that, it's important that you get as much information from the customer as you can so you can do a good and complete job, including those one-off unique features. Because nobody wants what they consider an incomplete project on the day it's supposed to be delivered. You know, let's say you're supposed to be delivering a website on October 1st. And it's supposed to have 10 features, but you, when you out of the communication only thought there was supposed to be eight, you show up on October 1st, you say, hey, here's this. And then the customer goes, where's my chat window and, and contact form? And it's like, oh, I missed those two. And then there's like a back and forth. And then they might start thinking of new ideas. And, and, you know, obviously now you're late. So it's not, it's not great. So this usually happens when the communication, um, wasn't clear between you and the customer. And therefore, uh, something wasn't done to spec or expectation. Like I said, with the eight of the 10 features. So sometimes sometimes customers will want to have a bunch of communication with you and that's generally a good sign because that usually means they're dedicated to the project you know usually they've worked in the industry for a while and they understand that you need all the information to make a great deliverable for them and they understand and embrace that procedure they want to give you the information and then you take the information and make something great but other times customers will only offer a few sentences sort of like when i mentioned that serial entrepreneurial type and they want to send you on your way without even having a phone call or a more in-depth email exchange with you. So in our experience, customers like this are generally more focused on the price rather than making a quality project, or they're very busy and aren't willing to put a bunch of time aside for you. Now, obviously, you know, some people are on a very strict budget, so, you know, it, it, it goes on, you know, it's a, it's whatever their situation is. Some people are on a very strict time budget, same sort of deal. And, you know, maybe that's out of their control. So they might not be able to have these, have these conversations with you. But in these cases, it's very important that you know your limitations in terms of creation and pricing. You have to know exactly how much information you need in order to make a great deliverable. If you need six pieces of information to make a forum for a customer and he's only willing to give you three, that's not going to work. And he, at the end of the day, is not going to be happy. He's going to be like, oh, I wanted, I wanted there to be a sign-in system with Facebook. Why can't I sign in with Facebook? Why can't I sign in with this? Why can't I have a chat? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So you also need to know, on top of this, you also need to know exactly how far you're willing to go under a certain price point. So if a customer isn't offering much information up front, oftentimes they'll randomly kind of just add features that you weren't expecting during the development process, or they'll have assumed more features were going to be in the deliverable uh, when you present it. So it's that that goes back to that thing where I said you only delivered eight of 10 features. And then sometimes a customer, if they're the real quick serial entrepreneurial type, what, what, what we'll generally find is maybe we'll, maybe it's, let's say it's a four week project. You know, we get four features. They demand the four features. Like they want those four. That's what they order. And then we, you know, we're working away on the four features. And then two weeks in, they're like, oh, by the way, I want uh, chat. I want a slider and I want to be able to edit it. And it's like to them, it's like, oh, I only ordered, you know, a couple more features here and there. Like maybe some of the features are, maybe they, maybe they assume that the features are going to be, you know, a part of, a part of the, uh, like the other features, like you can just build off of them, but maybe the entire structure now has to change and they're not aware of that. So you have to know exactly how far you're willing to go under a certain price before you say, whoa, I can't add that chat. I can't add that authentication method. I can't, I can't, I can't. It sucks to say I can't, but sometimes you literally cannot do it because you'll, you'll end up getting gouged uh, in terms of pricing. So with that being said, sometimes you need to resist customer requests and demands. Um, this sounds like it's going, it goes against the quote unquote customer is always right. However, the customer will never under any circumstance be happy with a product that they're underwhelmed with. So if a customer is outright refusing to give you the details that you need to start work, or if they're outright refusing to meet the budget that you know, you'll need to complete the project. Sometimes you have to turn those customers away. Now, obviously this is a very difficult thing to do in general, and it's especially difficult when you need work. And sometimes it's the perfect storm. Sometimes the perfect storm happens where you may need to take on a project that you're underpaid for. So if you're just starting out, you know, and you this is your first or second job, maybe you need to take this project on and you need to be underpaid for it because you need that portfolio work or you just need that little bit of cash, you need that cash injection. But this by no means should be the norm. You know, people, businesses do what they have to do, but this should not be the norm and this should not be the goal that you're striving for. You should be, you know, you know, paid fairly for what you're doing. Um, otherwise you're going to set a bad example for yourself moving forward. Um, and you'll be, be underpaid time and time again, underpaid and overworked. So sometimes though, a customer can give you something of more value than cash money, let's say. So maybe they can educate you in a skill that you need. Maybe they can help introduce you to a company that you've been trying to work with. Uh, we've tried to negotiate deals where a person is like, let's say our, uh, just a complete hypothetical. Let's say our, our, our quote is 400. They only have 200 in the budget, but they sell hubcaps and we need hubcaps for whatever reason for our vehicles. We can be like, Hey, give me a set of hubcaps. I'll do it for 200. And sometimes they're willing to do that. And then now you don't have to go buy hubcaps. So sometimes you can negotiate that type of thing or the education. Like I said, maybe they can train you up in something that you want or need to learn. So. That kind of ends the that kind of ends the first segment there. Uh, a little bit long winded, but uh, I don't know if you have any other comments, Mike, about those. Uh, no, I think you covered it pretty pretty well, and I think we we had like a really good discussion about like communication in uh, one of the previous episodes. So I think I think with with this and that together, you really start to form a really good idea of how to communicate and how to get what you need from your clients. Uh, so I'll probably just move on to the second the second segment, uh, which is gather project requirements. Uh, so this is a really interesting topic because um, in university, when I took when I took university, I think we had 
three, at least three classes during my program, which was uh, software engineering, uh, that literally took us through the process of collecting and then formulating the user requirements. That's how important the software engineering thinks that user requirements are and project requirements. So initially, like to before you send a first quote, before you have that like monetary discussion with your clients, uh, you need to do at least to a certain degree, you need to get, get a, an understanding of what's happening, what, what the, what the client needs you to do for this project and that's called gathering requirements and getting the project scope so with that uh you need to be able to ask the right questions because the client's not going to know what information to give you right off the bat like he's just going to spout oh i need a site uh i need a site up and it needs to look nice and work and people need to see it that is not enough for you to just generate the requirements and give them an amount of money because you need to know many, many things. And I'm just going to go through an example of like a small business site. So if 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 you're talking to a small business, uh, whether it be like an auto body shop or an auto repair shop or uh, some sort of manufacturer, uh, something like that, you know, that's what I consider a, a smaller business. Uh, if you're talking to them, these are the kinds of questions I would start asking. And this is not encompassing all the questions I would ask because that would take too long and it's very dependent on the small business even. Like you, you, you have to, you have to get this process down, but you also have to use a lot of common sense when you're asking these questions because it, it just, like what you will need, what you will need to generate the project is coming from the answers to them. So, so here's some examples. How do your current clients find you? So where do you find, where, where, like, do they call by phone? Do they, do a bunch of people email you? Do your friends, do friends refer them to you? Uh, Is it like a walk-in to your storefront or uh, are you advertising in the paper? Stuff like that. So you need to know a basis, general basis of how current clients find them. And then what you can, what you can do with that information is somehow integrated into the website. So that's one. So if you have a site currently, here's the next question. What are some things you like about it? And what are some things you really don't like about it? So sometimes they'll be like, well, I really like my slider at the, at the top page where I can kind of put all my advertisements right in. People can see it right away. Uh, or sometimes they'll say like, oh, I really like the, like, you know, the fact that they can contact me right away because the, my, my number's right at the top. It seems to work. So those kind, that kind of information is really valuable. And what they don't like some usually is because it's an outdated site. It's like the visuals. Maybe the site's performing really slowly. That, that doesn't happen very too often. Uh, maybe it's just not good on the phone, stuff like that. So you know where to start. You know what to, how to do to like appease the client. You know, those, those questions will really help you like deliver a product that they'll have, they'll be happy about because you're, you're, taking all the negative points of their current state and turning them into positives. So the next thing is, is uh, what is the intention with the new site? So is the, is the intention to actually like advertise your product and generate new leads? Or is it more of a, just a digital business card where you want people to be able to like Google your name and be able to have something there to be able to contact you from? Uh, these are two very different things and two very different quotes I would say to give because uh if you're generating leads, you have to spend a lot more time on getting the customer to contact you through the site. And if you're just a, a, a business card, then you're kind of just pointing them to the contact information on how to contact you. And you're not you're not as worried about uh, if they're finding your site in the search rankings. You're not as worried about if they're finding uh, if they're if they're going through the site's me- mechanisms to tr- to contact you and generate that lead. 
Uh, so another one would be, uh, who are your biggest competitors and which of their sites do you like the most? So this is a big one. And usually clients will bring it up on their own, but if they don't definitely ask it. Uh, so a lot of times like in a manufacturer or a small business, like will be like, well, these A, B, and C are my biggest competitors. Uh, I really like the, the site that B is going. And in fact, I've reached out to you because B's site seems to be doing so well. It's appearing in the Google search. Uh, can you make my site look like B's? Uh, and B could be anything, right? Um, so you kind of, that, that'll give you a very good perspective on what the client wants. And I like, I like going through the site with the client as after that, maybe like pulling it up right away and be like, Oh, do you like this, this, and this? And then you can kind of generate even more information about that question. Uh, so let's move on from there. So then we have, uh, do you have a database of products that you want to display on the site? So is your, is your customer selling a bunch of products? And do they want each and every product to be displayed on the site? Now, I'm not talking about e-commerce because small business usually doesn't involve e-commerce. Uh, if it does, that's a whole different section, obviously. Like if you're doing an e-commerce site, there's many, many other questions that you need to ask. So we're not talking about that right now. So if, if there is, but there, if there is a database of products that you want, like so a manufacturer might be offering some sort of uh, packaging products or something like that, um, how do you want them displayed? And if they need to be displayed, how are you going to handle that? This is really important for you to, you know, formulate a code and formulate a, a plan on how to implement. Uh, so then another question would be, do you want to be able to edit the main components of the site? So this this brings us into, is this site CMSable? Do you want us to be able to uh, have a content management system involved where you can go in, log in kind of like a WordPress and be able to, you know, edit your about page, add products, uh, edit your contact information. Uh, maybe there's a blog section to the site where you want to post news updates. So you, the, the rankings go up a little bit more because, you know, the more you update a site, the better it is. Uh, stuff like that. So th this obviously generates a, a, a higher level of complexity than a static site. Uh, and there's no problem with that. You just kind of adapt to it and you generate that quote to be a little bit higher. Um, and then so again, and the next question would be how important is the Google rank to you? And this one's a big one because uh, we're, we're not, I wouldn't say we're experts in SEO, but we know a very, very good core amount of information. And we'll, if, if, if the Google rank is extremely important to, to a site, then we'll spend a lot more time, you know, molding that. If it's extremely important to a site, we'll probably be reaching out to a third party to come in and do the SEO for, for them because we're not experts in it. A third party would be much more, much again, again, it would cost a lot more for them, but if they're really that, that out there, like we'll definitely offer that service. Um, another question could be, do you see your website expanding in some way, maybe becoming a web app or growing a lot and have, or have a team of editors on it that will be editing uh, that again, this, this will, determine infrastructure costs this will determine what you choose as your infrastructure like do you need it to be scalable real quick this will determine if uh, you're going to be building the site as a basic web application right off the bat just so that you can port it to a to an android device or an ios device stuff like that uh so th these are just some of the questions there's going to be more as you start talking to them more more answers will come at you and you're generally you pretty much generate a transcript of information uh, a lot of like in university when i was going through it a lot of the times they would just give us a you know a call transcript and ask us to generate the requirements from that call transcript like so what do we know from this you know hour-long call and usually you want to keep it to that hour-long time limit because a lot of customers don't have a lot of time you want to try to get as much as you can from them in as little time especially uh, if you're just generating a quote from this and you're not actually going and doing work uh, it's important to also value your own time so try to do it in a condensed way 
obviously it'll take some practice don't worry if you go over over like over the time limit and stuff but try to try to comp- make it compact and get as much information as you can um so in, and when you're doing this you usually want to do this in either like a screen share setting so again like i said in that uh what are your competitor sites so you can always bring up your competitor site and you can talk to your client right there about that site and be like and he'll be like oh i like this that a b and c right um that's really valuable. Uh, obviously, a personal setting is preferred where you're actually meeting them in an office or something like that. That's really good to be face to face. That you can really gauge a lot of uh, perspective when you're when you're doing that. But it's not always possible, especially with today's uh, you know outsourced industry. So, but but you want ideally you want to have some sort of visual setting where you can either see them or you can at least share your screen. There are going to be situations where it's going to be a phone call or an email. Those are not great for generating uh requirements because a lot of intricacies are lost and a lot of times you don't uh in writing a lot of times you don't understand exactly the same way that the client understands when he's talking when he's writing it so you you get mixed up in certain points and it's it's never good to have those mix-ups because they can cost a lot of time and money in the future because you might be generating uh, you know, doing a feature one way and the client might have thought about it a completely different way back when he was back when he wrote it to you and you've already made it, you've, you put it in the requirements, you've made it and the client looks at it and it's like, well, that's totally not what I thought it was. Uh, this is completely wrong. Can you redo it? And then he'll go back and be like, well, look what I wrote here. This is how I meant it. That's that's a very possible case and it could be a possible case uh, and I'll talk about it in, a seg- in segment three, but it could be a possible case where you have to adapt because a lot of misinterpretations are going to happen no matter what. So you have to adapt, but moving on from there. Uh, so w- once you have this meeting done, this initial gathering requirements meeting done, uh, you can write down all your answers, start creating the basis of a project and what will be required to complete it, how many hours it will take. So this is like, this is the start of generating your quote, right? So you have all these answers, you have all these questions. Uh, you can now start generating how the project's going to look, what will be required to do the front end, what will be required to do the back end, what will be required to do migration, what will be required to do email, stuff like that. And you can write that all down, have, have a, a fairly detailed uh, section for each one, put hours to it, and put the amount of time, uh, put the amount of cost per hour. And then you can, with, with that, you generate a quote for them. And that that's what you would send to the client after that, you know, usually one hour meeting. Um, and again, once you do that, this is only the start of gathering requirements. So this is only the very, very initial part. After this, if they accept the quote, you have to you have to get even more requirements. You'll have to get even more information. So the minute details will have to be discussed. And again, you'll be you'll be taking that, writing it all down, make sure you have a list of requirements. And if it's a larger project, like a, a significantly larger project, uh, not just a small business site that we were talking about before, uh, if there's you know users that have to interact with the, with the site, log in, uh, users that have to uh, you know view the site, view changes, stuff like that. That you'll you'll need some sort of way of uh, documenting all that, and a lot of this is going to be in UML, which is a unified mod- modeling language. And these are just diagrams, so like flow diagrams. You've seen those before. Uh, so they're usually called just so you know the terminology on some of these are activity sequence use case. These are communication like these are uh, interaction diagrams, and these are how like how people are going to be interacting and how the system is going to be interacting with people. That's usually what these diagrams are for. And they're really good for building out a lot of features. If a lot of features need to be built out, that's how you generate your project timeline. 
with these diagrams. So you start with the diagrams and then with these diagrams, you know what features need to be built out, what features can be built out simultaneously, what features are reliant on other features and dependencies, and then you can build out your project timeline. So the next thing is uh, the requirements you collect will be used to generate your project plan, like I said. And uh, th these diagrams will be used to make your project going forward. And, and the, the very the basis of these diagrams will be extremely important as the project progresses and extremely important. These requirements will lay out the entire time frame of when you're working on a project. Um, so with that, make sure that you spend enough time gathering and collecting these requirements and double checking them and making sure that the client understands the requirements that you've gathered. So once you've gathered the requirements, go back to your client, have a sit down with them, have a call, have, have a screen share and be like, let's look through the points that I've just, that we've discussed. Here's point. The, the, these are the requirements that we're going to be building for your application, for your website. This is what this application is going to do at the end. And at the end of it, this is what you're going to see. And obviously this isn't talking about just the UI UX is talking about the actual system that we're being, that's uh, building. Um, so that that's kind of like what you need to do and gathering requirements will really uh, in, in the long run, prevent you from redoing sections and wasting time constantly communicating with the client because when you gather really good requirements that's it you're on your like usually you're on your own and you can build your project on your own your client can can go on and do his work so it's really important like i i don't want to overstate it enough to gather the correct requirements when you're especially when you're doing larger projects um, so I'm going to move on. This 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 segment is a little bit smaller. Uh, actually, first I'll let Matt if he if he wants to jump in. Do you have any uh, comments on just gathering project requirements, Matt? Before I move on to the next segment, I don't think so. But I, I just one thing to note is like I feel like our lack of comment after each segment is because, uh, and this is like kind of maybe important to the listener is that we generated these points and these this procedure over years of trying to gather scope and requirements from people. So, I mean, this is the, the reason why we don't have comments is because we generated it together. So if you find that something else is working for you, um, you know, absolutely maybe do that, especially if you're in a different industry or a slightly different industry. But these points are, have been like distilled down through our personal uh, experiences and been distilled down for what has it been now three plus years so I, I just wanted to, to make that clear that this is our procedure. We didn't go somewhere and grab it. It's like we distilled this. And so um, these points for us have been tried and true. So I, I just wanted to make, make that note that we're not following a guide here. This is like our personal experience and our procedure that we're making. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this isn't one of those like follow a medium, medium article that we do sometimes. Yeah, this is absolutely our experience and our what what, what we've been doing ever since we started in the industry and obviously it's evolved since then, but, uh, it, it's been, it's been pretty effective for us so far. Like we haven't, and it, it, it gets better every time too. Yeah. Like we haven't had many situations where we'd have to go back and redo a lot of things. Cause I think we do a pretty good job at gathering these requirements. Would you, would you say that's correct? I, I would say that's correct. I would say, I would say that we learned it really rather quickly because I would say our, maybe our first couple of projects, um, were, they weren't so much that we had to go back, but they were, interrupted kind of like in the segment i was discussing where it was kind of interrupted by people being like hey we need to actually have this we need to actually have that because we one of our problems i think in the very beginning in a couple of our first projects was we would get the basic requirements but we would just do as the client told and we were a bit too timid to approach the client with like hey maybe you should have a contact form 
And like now we'll be like, hey, 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 you know, we're the professional. Like absolutely you're the client, but we're the professional. This is our professional opinion. And we're offering more of that within the meetings that we're having now, whereas before we weren't. So if a client was like, I don't want any email on there. So it'd be like, okay, and I don't want any phone number. And like, I mean, that didn't exactly happen, but just as a real easy example, we would just be like, okay. And then a couple of weeks later, they'd call, like, let's say we put the site up a couple weeks later. It's like, we're not generating any leads. It's like, well, yeah, because we have, supposed to call you. You know what I mean? And we would never like in the very beginning, we wouldn't offer much, but then very quickly, like even a couple of, as soon as a couple of months in, we were like, no, 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 these people need to be guided a bit and we need to give reasoning, but we, these guys need to be guided. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, I'll, I'll move on from there. So, uh, segment three, changing project requirements. So th- this will be a short segment, uh, because it shouldn't happen a lot and there's good reason for that. So during or immediately after delivering a good to a customer, a project requirements can change drastically. And that's absolutely true. And it's happened to us. It's happened. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to everyone. Uh, this, this can be caused by either miscommunications. It could be caused by clients changing perspective, a client's, it could be caused by clients changing economic standing. Like it could be many, many different things. Like if, if, if I'll give you an example of something that could happen is, uh, you plan out this entire like massive project for a client's uh, ordering system and the client you know approves it everything's good the requirements are approved all that and you start it and i don't know three weeks in because maybe it's a 10-week project the client comes back to you and says we've added three steps to the ordering system internally can you add that to to the project i mean it's not great when that stuff happens, because you already have everything planned out, you have the timeline planned out, obviously, you're going to have to have some pushback on that. And uh, some these are, there's going to be some suggestions throughout this segment on how to do that pushback on how to like, you know, you have to meet your client halfway. Sometimes you have to meet your client full way sometimes. And sometimes the client will understand sometimes the client won't because they'll think like they'll think like, oh, it's easy, you know, you just add these three steps. Well, you have to be the one to explain to them where it, when it's not easy, like if it's actually not easy, you have to take it down into their terms and be able to explain to them that no i have to you know go back and fix a b c d you know all these different features just to add these three features in and that will be you know and it'll add another three weeks to our timeline it'll add another x amount of hours and an x amount of money um and then you'll go back and do it again but so like these changes again the this is kind of repeating myself, but these changes may be brought on by the customer's preferences, the market conditions, company-wide strategy, or anything like it, many, many different ways, many, many different reasons for these changes. Uh, and when a project requirement changes, especially when it drastically changes from its original vision, it awfully, it often falls on us as the creator to make these appropriate changes and to communicate what we need from the customer to make these appropriate changes. So, uh, oftentimes the customer will expect you to simply make the changes in that under the original agreement and that's it. And you either have to do that based on, uh, you know, you trust the customer, you, you really want to, uh, you know, appease this customer because you think he's going to give you more projects down the road or something like that. Like there has to be a reason for you to make these changes for free completely. Uh, you, you know, there, there are reasons to do that, but I'm just saying maybe make sure that you're doing stuff for yourself as well. Don't don't just do stuff and add another three weeks and, you know, 100 hours of work onto your load without any monetary or time compensation for that. Uh, 
So, and, and then if, but if it is like something like, oh, I just need you to change a couple colors here and there, do changes within reason because the customers will always appreciate that. Customers appreciate flexibility uh, because they have to, they sometimes have to show it themselves for their, for other projects and stuff like that. They understand. And when you show flexibility, it kind of gives that trust and you have, you build a trust with a customer. And as you, as you go throughout your career, that trust will really, really, really help you out. Uh, building trust with customers is a huge part of of our business. And moving forward, you'll get a lot more work potentially. You'll get a lot more references, stuff like that. So make sure you you see, like, go back when they give you the feature request. Go back. Don't be like immediately. No, I'm not going to do that because we have these original require like original requirements, and that's it. That's all I'm going to do. No, go back and look at them yourself. Think about, you know, for maybe five, 10 minutes, think about what it would take to implement it and then go back to the customer and tell them yes or no, or what it will take, how much more money, how much more time, or if you'll do it for free or not, stuff like that. Just be reasonable, be reasonable about it. So, and then also, um, it's important before you start uh, the project is to lay out what you're willing to do, like as in what you're willing to change as the as the project requirements change so sometimes you can even lay it out in your contract be like okay if it's a five minute change 10 minute change half an hour change i'll do it no problem i'll i'll it'll be within within reason as long as it's not like you know 10 30 minute changes but you can lay that out in your contract and and explain it to and explain it to the customer when you're when you're getting getting to the stages of them signing the contract of them approving the work and stuff like that and then they'll know like in when they go through their you know work schedule and they see that there's something that has to be changed and they see that it, it could be a big change they might either hesitate on that big change to telling you on that big change and not do it uh, because they don't have the money or they might understand that it's going to cost a lot more money go to you explain the situation and ask you to actually develop the the solution that's both those options are are, are possible in this case so that that's all i really have to say about changing the project requirements just be flexible don't uh don't be like extremely rigid, but also don't, you know, hinder your own time and effort, like value yourself and your time. Uh, j- just as, just as a person that's, de- that's developing skills, don't do anything for completely free. Know that you're like, if you're going to be doing something for the customer, hope, like hope that that generates the trust. That would be my suggestion. Uh, so that, that's about it. I'm going to pass it off, uh, to Matt if he has any, any additions to this segment or if he wants to just move on to the next one? Uh, I think we covered that. I think we covered that rather well. Um, but I think it's, I think it's something that like the, the whole changing of the scope or change and changing the requirements of a project. I think it's, I think it's something that comes up a lot more than people would expect because I, especially when a customer is, it kind of falls into the class of, uh, like being clueless. And when I say clueless, like I'm not making fun of them, but they're, they're passing it off to you as the professional. They don't know about the project they're telling you about. They're just telling you, I need a website and I need it to do this. And then they kind of walk away, which is totally fine. But with those type of customers, I think that you'll, in general, from our experience, you'll generally, you'll generally see an increase in the amount of, in the amount of things that the interrupt you like you'll constantly be kind of like bothered uh by by people by people when when they don't do that and another and like 
I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like generate an example in my head, but I can't. It's like, uh, I, I think you know what I mean though, Mike. It's like when they're, when they're very loose with their requirements, they will oftentimes either forget completely or they'll, they'll, they'll ignore something that's critical to them and then they'll just bring it up later. Yeah. And I think that also kind of, and I wanted to touch on this too anyway. So it nicely kind of falls into the camp of, oh, it's easy. We experience this, um, quite often where people will be like, but like all my competitors have it. It's easy. It's like, well, I mean, all people have, like most people have cars, but I couldn't go outside tomorrow and be like, I'm going to build a car from scratch. So like it's, it's often, it oftentimes, oftentimes that is where, at least in my experience, where a point of contention happens with a, with a customer where we have to basically fight them. Um, not like, not like literally we're in, in there having a brawl, but you have to push back with them and be like, no, like this is not easy. Um, and for whatever reason, that seems to sometimes really be a, like a strong point of contention where they're like, no, like my competitors have it. I know it's easy. And so it's like, okay, well you do it. Like, why are you coming to me then? Like, why wouldn't you have done it then? Um, I know that sounds like really kind of like you're making fun of them or being rude to them. And I wouldn't say that to them, but like, you kind of have to like push that point toward them. You have to kind of say like, you have to prove that you're not doing something easy. You have to like prove it in a way in which it's like, this isn't easy. And this is why uh, if you buy my story or not, whatever, but I have expressed my opinion and that's it. You know what I mean? And, and for whatever reason, that always seems to be a point of contention with us. Um, and I'm sure with others as well. And that's, I would say that part right there. And I think it's pretty clear via how much I'm, you know, kind of go- dancing around the issue that that one right there is probably the po- the part of our procedure that we're working on right now. The part that we're still distilling and figuring out because we do get that pushback and it's very hard to like push back because like in a layman conversation, it's like, dude, no, it's not easy. But a customer, you can't just go to a customer and be like, dude, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be like, no, like I want my money's worth out of my hours, which they should but you should also get your money's worth out of the work you're doing. So that's something that we're definitely still working on. Um, but it's just something I really wanted to bring up because uh, it, it, it has caught an, it has caught us off guard uh, so many times, especially probably about midway through um, midway through our career so far. And like, we're basically used to it now, but we're still like, that's still the, our least practiced part I would say is, is fighting off the, the whole it's easy or, Oh, this shouldn't be that bad. Let's just add 10 pages. It's like, well, no, wait, hang on a minute here. You paid 500 for the other five pages. Why is it assumed that it's 500 for 15 now? And you will get that for sure. Um, with, with certain customers, um, especially if you experience a lot of customers. Um, I don't know if you have any points to bring up about that, Mike, because I know that we experienced that a lot, but uh, otherwise I can move on to the old web news. Uh, no, I think, I think that's good. I, I, I agree with the whole it's easy argument. Uh, I mean, we haven't had that. We've had that for a couple clients, um, and we've had to prove, but I, it definitely is a frustrating point of topic, like when someone says something's easy when they don't know what they're talking about, but it's something you have to handle. Well, so, it's 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 something, too, where it's not always that they're saying directly that it's easy, but what they'll say is like, oh, just like an, a, a very common statement is just do what you did before and make those other 10 pages. It's like, well, wait a minute. It didn't take me four seconds to to do it before. You know what I mean? So if we're going from five to 15 pages, we got to talk about price again, you know? And what, what people will say is like, oh, just duplicate it. It's like, well, I, I mean, no, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, like, like some, some stuff, like what you said within reason, sure. 
oh, I, I want another page that's identical, but I want the heading to be red. Fine. Yeah. You know, control A can see, control A, control Z, control V, and then you make it red at the top and then that's it. But if it's like, I want 15 pages and I want like four different styles in there, just do what you did before. It's like, well, yeah, but you have to pay for my service. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's just, that's, that's my two cents uh, with that. But like, I think, I think we, uh, I think we've covered that in, quite in depth and given some people some, uh, like a foundation to kind of go off of when communicating with customers. Uh, and I think we'll move on now to the old recurring segment, web news. So again, we're talking about phones again, but something a little bit different. So web news, what do you want from a phone slash Android launcher? So something like gesture control, widgets, long battery life, etc. So let's kind of go through this and then we'll have a discussion as we always do. So we all have different needs and wants from our mobile device. They're an extension of us and a main way that people communicate with one another these days. With that being said, they're still mobile computers and can be used for a wide variety of tasks from working on the go, taking photos, chatting with friends, and much more. With these different use cases comes a variety of user preferences in terms of hardware and software. At a high level, a few of the options at the top of my head include gesture control versus like traditional control, which is just like tapping on all the icons and all the buttons, uh, different launchers on Android, long battery life, widgets, uh, the leftmost screen, side pullouts like the Samsung Edge system, uh, different operating systems um, offer different UI and UX and different ideologies. So for example, like a closed garden um, versus an open source. And uh, just like kind of like a, a secondary question in there. Are you a fan of the Android fragmentation or is there too much variation? I'll toss that to Mike for his comments on that. Yeah. Um, as, as for the second question, the fragmentation, uh, I don't want to talk too, too much about that because I feel like we've really hit hard on the uh, app overload. Um, I will agree again on the fact that it's extremely fragmented and it has the positives and negatives of that fragmentation. Um, but I'll just explain, mostly what I'll do is I'll explain what I use on my phone for all the, those questions. Uh, so starting with gesture control, uh, absolutely. I, I love the gesture control. I've been using it uh, for a while now, even before like I, iOS had it and before Android kind of started initially implementing it uh, default with Android 9. So what I have set up is, uh, you know, you swipe up to go home, you swipe, uh, and then you swipe from the left side or the right side of the screen to go back. So you can do it from either side. And uh, you to, to get to your recents, you swipe up and hold, and then it'll get to your recents similar to how an iPhone does it. Uh, so that that's what I've been using for a little while now, and I, I, I've loved it because A, it clears up more real estate on your screen. And B, I find it to be more intuitive than faster than than buttons. Um, that that seems to be like, for, especially when you use your hands left or right handed, it's nice to have uh, you know the ability to go back on either side and go you know swipe up to go to go home, and no matter where you are, and you don't have to kind of reach for the other buttons on the bottom there. Uh, that that's how I like to do it. And uh, as for the left side screen or the left side panel, uh, I use Google Now there. Just like on a on Nova Launcher, uh, you can you can add Google Now panel to the left side. That's what I do. Um, I I don't know like Google, Google Now or how, whatever it's called now uh, with the Google News kind of integration uh, is kind of interesting to me. It it does a decent job for me where it like you know gives me the latest news about the sports teams that I follow, the games that I like. Uh, I know a lot of people complain about how it's not that relevant and it usually shows older news. 
I don't like sometimes I don't have time to look at the news. So sometimes for me, at least it it is showing something relevant. So that's why I use it. Uh, people are different. I, I'm sure that uh, some people really, really don't like it. And that's fine. Uh, the other thing is the right panel. Uh, what I do is I have my Google Keep app there. And that's like a notes app. And I have a full screen widget. And so all my notes are, are kept there. So like shopping lists and uh, just little reminders and stuff like that are kept there. So that's always one swipe away. And then my home, my main home screen is just filled with my most common apps, the weather and time. So that's really like, that's my layout. Uh, that's, that's how I handle my phone structure. And uh, I go back and forth. I'm, I really like the customization of Android. Um, and uh, th- I, I really like the fact that I can always switch the launcher and make it look completely different. Uh, there's this one cool launcher that was released recently called Niagara Launcher. And it kind of go- puts it in a vertical scrolling panel. Everything's on a vertical scrolling panel and uh, with just the time and weather up top. And you can kind of really easily swipe up and down to scroll through all your apps. Um, I like the look of it. Uh, the utility of it wasn't exactly what I was looking for and had some issues with my current version of Android. So I went back to a standard like Nova Launcher layout, uh, but I definitely really like the fact that I can always switch it up. If I get bored, I can always you know throw on a completely different look for my phone. Uh, that that that's a huge plus for me. I don't think like if I was with an iPhone, my my issue would be like not the fact that it's bad or the fact that I'm uh you know I don't like the the way it's laid out because I don't, I don't mind it. Like, I don't like the fact that all my apps are on one screen, but or like are, are constantly there. Like I have to put them in folders to organize them. Um, I don't like the fact that there's no app drawer pretty much. But other than that, I like pretty much everything about it. I just, I'd feel kind of locked in too much and I'd feel anxiety almost in the fact that I can't get out of that ecosystem. I can't get out of that look. So I had to just have that look forever. And I hope for an update that changes the look slightly, but that's it. Uh, I like, having the ability to change it. Uh, I don't do it very often, but when I do, it kind of refreshes my phone, makes it seem new. I like it. I don't want to be locked in. So that's, that's kind of my take on that. So with, with your, like, so you said you like gesture control. Um, you use that before Android P because P is the one that introduced, introduced gesture control, right? Yeah. I started with gesture control on Android seven, which is N. And no, how I, I how did you do that exactly? So like you you said it, did you, just a launcher or no? It's an app called Edge Gestures. It's uh you have to pay for it, but um you're, it it allows you to set up uh gestures like for all the sides, left, right, and bottom. So I mean, okay, you can set that up. The only the only thing you have to do, or if your phone enables it, is allow you to disable the actual like on screen buttons or or bottom buttons if you have them. So if if your launch or if your phone like allows you to disable the buttons, then you're good to go. If not, then you kind of have to be rooted, which I was before I got this phone. And I would root and then disable those buttons and enable the 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 edge gestures, and I'd be good to go. Now it's now my Asus Five Z gives me the option to disable uh, on-screen buttons without enabling its default gestures, which are not that great. So I, I do that. It's super interesting to me, like just as a as like an aside note, it's super interesting to me that, um, so for example, there was like that whole Bixby button scenario that's still there, but there was like a Bixby button remapper, and I've never I don't have much experience with that. I never actually used it, but people were saying that like it it's pretty bad because it runs all the time with because of battery life. So 
Like, would you say that adding something like that to your phone hurts the battery life at all? Or is that app, like, pretty good? Like, I'm not really sure how Android handles background tasks too much. Uh, Yeah, some apps are really bad, but I haven't noticed any, any like, negative effect on battery life with this. Because it's not okay. like it's... I don't think it's pulling. I think it's on an interrupt request kind of situation. Okay, yeah. So it's not, like, constantly sitting there waiting. Or, like, it, like it is constantly sitting there waiting. It's not, like... Constantly asking, like, did somebody touch the gesture? Did someone do the gesture? Did someone do the gesture? Exactly, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. I I would say um, I'm a fan of gesture control myself as well, but I'm off of it almost entirely. So um, I was using, last week I was using uh, a BlackBerry Key 2, and uh, last, year, last week I was using a BlackBerry Key 2, and that really, like, it has, like, a side, a, a pull-out side thing, uh, just like the Edge on, on a Samsung, and... Uh, it has, I don't believe it has a leftmost screen, or at least I never used it, but I found myself, like, not really using many gestures on there at all, um, other than, like, swiping through the screens of apps, um, and then, like, swipe up and down for, like, pulling down the no- notification shade, for example, or pulling down in this case. Um, but those are really the only gestures I use. I find Android to be rather, and, like, I don't have P, so maybe this is the reason, but, like, I find Android uh, to be rather, like, traditional, I guess. So traditional controls, so I'm pressing like the home button, I'm pressing the multitasking button, I'm pressing the back button. And like I use the back button a lot. So like those people that hide the bottom thing, I don't understand how they do it. So like for example, uh like I, I've recently and I'll, and I'll get into this in a sec, I recently just put my sim back in my S eight plus because I'm doing an experiment uh with a launcher. But um one of the things is that I I noticed I noticed that like you can you can hide that bottom bar on Android where you have like the home multitasking back. And like, I've done that several times. And then all I end up doing every single time is like, I'm in an app. I have to like swipe up and then push back. And it's just like, why am I doing that? Like, why don't I just lock it to the bottom and then just have my back button without there, with, like right there. So I don't have to, I don't have to press like swipe up and press back. So I, I, I like gesture control, but I'm on traditional control. Yeah. Um, well, and I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I can just, I can explain to you what, what like mine looks like. It's not, I know, I know what you mean by, uh, you know, swiping up and seeing your controls. Mine doesn't, mine doesn't like do that. I can, I just swipe up from the bottom and it goes home. That's what I mean by gesture controls. See that, that's interesting. Cause that's more along the road of BB 10. Like yes. I used to use BB 10, which is why I like gesture controls. Uh, BB like, uh, BB 10 or Blackberry 10 was very like gesture based and it was like really good. Like I used a lot of gestures and I'm all about it. Um, and I kind of was like, you know, praising it for years and years when people kept saying like, no, like we're on traditional control kind of thing. Like, why would you use gestures? Um, and admittedly, gestures, in my opinion, have a, a larger curve, like a learning curve. But they, once you get it, it's a lot smoother. But now I'm, that I'm off of it, it's just sort of like, it's just sort of like how I use my device now. I don't, I'm not like super opinionated on gesture versus traditional. I prefer gesture, but if I'm on traditional, I'm on traditional. It's not like a, a game breaker for me. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe I should try that app though. Uh, but I don't know how you go. Like, so you go back even in, in apps by swiping, swiping from either the left side of the screen to the middle, or from the right side of the screen to the middle. See, that's interesting to me because the back button I still think is a really like major thing in Android, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously why they have that like weird like home button slider thing on P. Yeah. But they still have the back button because it's like it's so vital. Well, uh, I, it could... I just I don't see the reason. Like, I don't I don't see the the point of edge of the gestures on P because they don't take up less real estate 
and you're still like it, it's the same thing like if there's they've only taken away the multitasking and switched it to a like you know a swipe up i don't understand that that's the only difference in in p the only thing i could think of off top of my head is like maybe this is the transition yeah this is the transitionary uh os in which they're moving they're moving to a gesture control and they're going to like start innovating and start putting more in but they're like they're laying the foundation because if i mean if it's providing the same function it's not hurting anyone but it's it's still letting people kind of like get into it and it's letting them get into it themselves as the designers and the developers maybe that's what's going on uh, i have never used it like i said so i don't have like a like a first hand account of it um i will say that uh, and this goes hand in hand with the launchers. I will say that the fragmentation on Android is very strange to me. Um, so I used a G4, an LG G4, and then I went to an LG, or sorry, a Samsung S8 Plus, and then to a Key2. And I find that I don't, like, people are always like, oh, like, they, we like stock Android, like, we want stock Android. And I found that the LG and the Samsung was rather comparable in terms of, in terms of usability. Um, in terms of like the quick options and that. So a, a main one that stands out in my head is LG and Samsung. Uh, I mean, there's slight variations, but generally speaking, it's like you swipe down and there's like, there's like loud, like, so like, like loud with the ringers, silent. Um, so like vibrate. And then there's like silence, like where there's no vibrate and no ringer. Mm-hmm. I find it really weird on the key two, which is the Android way. So it's not just the key two, it's the Android way where. You have to put it in do not disturb mode. There's no, like, I just want it to vibrate mode that I found. Um, I don't know whether I'm doing something wrong because I didn't really, like, look because I never used the vibrate mode anyway. But it's weird to me. It's like I always I always used do not disturb as an ultimate, like, literally do not light up the screen. Don't update the shade for me unless I unlock the phone. Like, leave me the hell alone. And I've always, like, treated it like that, like, where it was a very strict, like, I cannot be disturbed right now. And I rarely, rarely use it. Um, even when the phone's in my pocket or whatever, like I rarely use it, but I have used it. Like on the other, on other phones, it seems to be like there's a separate do not disturb mode. And it was weird that I was just using that on the daily. Now, again, that's all personal preference. And that's also me just like not exploring all the options in terms of that. But like, I don't know. I, I, I prefer the LG slash Samsung way of handling the quick options, I guess. Uh, so, but that like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just. Just so I understand, so you're saying that if you if you go down all the way on the volume on the key two, it will put it into complete silence without any vibration or is- see I didn't know I don't know. I I didn't even know that that's what I was supposed to be doing. See what I what I do, like so I have my S eight plus, for example, in my hand right now. And so if I swipe down from the top, um it there's like a there's uh one, two, three, four there's six options, there's six quick options right here. Mm-hmm. And if I swipe down again, there's like another there's yeah. a couple of groups here, yeah, so there's yeah. twelve here. So I have it right now on mute, which means it will not vibrate. It will not ring. It will not do any of that. Right. Um, there's also a, there's also a do not disturb mode. If I swipe over, that is like a complete, like, like I said, it's like a complete shutdown, but like for me, it's like, Oh, if I want the ringer on, all I do is tap this mute and it goes to ring. If I tap it again, it goes to vibrate. And so it's like, it goes through like a toggle of all those three. Yep. So it goes through like a rotation. So, like LG, uh, remembering back, LG is very similar to that. And that makes a lot more sense to me with my key two. And maybe I was using it wrong. And again, it's the Android way is I was pressing do not disturb at night. Cause I don't want it to ring and stuff when I'm asleep. But you so want it's it to like, vibrate. No, 
I, I rarely use the vibrate function. Oh. But it's weird to not have a third option. So, like, basically, in terms of the way I'm used to it is, is there's four. There's ring, vibrate, silence, and do not disturb. On my key two, it was ring or do not disturb. Oh, interesting. So you didn't see a vibrate option. I didn't, but again, yeah. I didn't know that, so, I sh- that I should be adjusting it with the volume, and I never really explored yeah. it. I was just like, well, I, I guess I'm using it like this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that like, when I was using stock Android on my Nexus, uh, I just like would lower the volume to zero and it would start vibrating and only vibrating. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how I did it on my Asus. I have the same system that you're describing with the, like, you know, the keyword switches between the three of them. So that's what I do now. Is it now when's like, what, what phone are you on right now? Asus five Z. And so that has the same like toggling through, right? Yes, yeah. That, that but that's an same. Asus system though, right? Yes. Yes. See, it's weird that all the manufacturers seem to have lined up on that, but yet for some reason, Google to my knowledge has not. So their their new Android nine has a different way of handling it. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I know, and I don't know what it is. I, I know that it's different, so maybe they'd have aligned. I don't know. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. But but Google has historically taken a lot of stuff from uh, custom launchers and custom skins like Samsungs and all that, and added it into their system, right? Like especially when they saw like really good feedback from from people like a lot of a lot of samsung features were useless and they saw that and they didn't add them a lot of samsung features were useful so they're like oh why don't i add that in and they have done that and they have the rights to do that i believe with their licensing so that's not unheard of um to happen it's it's just weird that i i can't even really remember what the situation was on bb10 but i i'm 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 relatively certain it was it was relatively the same. I do remember it was like relatively same to like the system that I was describing that I prefer, and I do remember struggling with Android because it had multiple volume sliders, mm-hmm. and I still struggle with that. It's like fuck, like I just want to turn on the volume, like, and it's like no, no, this is the this is the vibrate power, this yeah. is the this is the light ringer, this is it's like Jesus, so- I want to turn down the volume. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I have an application installed on my on my phone that actually will overwrite my volume buttons and only turn down the actual media volume. So I did, I don't have to touch the other volume unless I really want to. You know what I, I mean? Have the, I, I have that on my SA Plus. It's a Samsung one. Yeah. It's like Samsung does it for me. Exactly. Like, I, I don't like the fact that depending on what you're doing, the volume buttons will, will adjust different types of volumes. I don't like that. I don't I don't think that's good UX. Um, I, I wanted to just adjust the media volume because the, I'm usually not sitting there and adjusting the the call volume because what I'll do is I'll just turn it off if I'm not, if I don't need it. So. Yeah, there's there's no point in which I'm like I'm allowed to be called, but I want it to be slightly lo- quieter. Yeah, that I, I absolutely that. I absolutely want a volume slider because I don't want it to be too freaking loud for a given ringtone. Yeah, but I, it, that should be buried in the settings, not a quick option. I never exactly. quickly need to do that. I never need to press the volume buttons and adjust my ring slider. Like I that that never made sense to me. Uh, like I want what I want to do is like right before I start listening to something, maybe I want to go down a little bit. You know what I mean? Because it's going to be blaring in my ears depending on what I'm listening to. So that's what I want to do, but you can't do that because if you're not listening to something and on like on this, I'm talking stock Android, if you're not listening to something and you touch the volume buttons up and down, it'll only adjust the call volume and the notification volume. That doesn't make sense to me. It, it's the worst too when like you accidentally or when it's accidentally super loud yeah. and then you hit the button, but it hasn't detected you're listening to media yet. Yes. So now it's like stuck in the ringer mode. So you're like, okay, I guess I'm listening to this for 20 yep. seconds. Yep. 
at full volume. And that happened to me like nonstop. Like that was a, that was a thing that could happen every day. Like that, you would think that after this many years, and this is just like on this feature, and there's probably way more features that we can talk about like this, but this feature particularly stands out where like I've had this problem since the start, since my Galaxy S4, my first Android phone, all the way till now. Thankfully, I found this application that stops this feature, but like I have to now install a separate application to override my volume buttons, which is weird. And it also uh, has to make a sound every time you go up and down, which is kind of annoying, but that's like one of their like the ways that they hack this system somehow um and like i'll take that as a compromise i guess but well i mean it's super good that like samsung has the feature and i for some reason vaguely remember p having the feature as well yes to lock it to the media but like come on guys like that's a ux that should have been resolved in by the s4 yeah like, not, it, not it should have been not seven years, years. yeah like, like, what are you guys years. doing it's weird yeah it's a weird like google is a weird system but Again, there's a lot of problems that can be solved with just a simple application um, and stuff like that. And I like that about Android a lot. I'd rather have that than like, you know, a couple of problems, maybe not as big, but you can, there's nothing to do, but like, you can't solve them ever. You just have to wait for the manufacturer to do it. You know what I mean? Like on Apple, if, if you don't like the notifications, you can, you know, that's it. You can... That's like it. You, have to, you have to wait. You have to yeah. complain and hopefully like enough people complain yeah. so that they add it and even if they care about the complaints. Exactly. That's it. Like you don't have any choices. So it, I, I I appreciate Android for that for that matter. It's it's a personal preference thing for sure. I'm sure a lot of people don't want to worry about having to, you know, change anything and they'll be fine by it, like adjusting to the things that they don't like. Um it's not me. So yeah, that's that's what I would want to say about that for sure. Well, the one the one thing I would also say about about this is like, um, I I kind of use a phone the way it was given generally, mm-hmm. and this experiment I'm doing now is sort of totally foreign to me. Usually, it's just like, oh, I have the LG launcher, okay, or oh, I have the Samsung launcher, okay, and I just kind of leave it. Um, so this is the first time I'm doing a bit of an experiment. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of go through the the options and then I'll kind of explain what I'm doing. So. Um, different launches on Android. That's a totally new thing to me. Long battery life. I'm absolutely a massive fan of battery life. And the key two has unprecedented battery life. Uh, I usually just not charge it overnight. I yep. just be like, oh, whatever. Yep. You know, uh, like literally. And I would just kind of charge it when it, when it needed it or when I, I knew I was going to go out or something. But like, honestly, like I never thought of the battery life. I never, I never, like, I mean, I turned on the adaptive brightness and that type of thing as the phone suggests during setup and during the original, like, turning it on and like getting everything ready. But I never really put much thought into, into battery life. I never like sat there and like kept adjusting tree like brightness or, or tried to be conservative with the battery. I never did that. Um, and it lasted like crazy, uh, widgets. I will use widgets, but it's weird. It's like, I'll have widgets on my screen and then I'll never use them. So it's like, I'll always put them up and be like, Oh, this would be a useful space for this. And then I never use it. I go to the app. <laughs> That's weird. It's re- it's really weird, and I always do that. And I did and I did that on a couple of Apple devices when Apple like introduced the widgets on like the leftmost screen. Um, I did the same thing. It was like, oh, I'm gonna set up my leftmost screen or whatever, whatever it is. I don't I haven't used Apple in a while, so I don't really remember. But it's like I, I added widgets in some in some regard. I like organized all my widgets, got them all set up, and then didn't use them. So I don't know. It's weird like that. Uh, leftmost screen. For BB10, it was the hub and needed to be used, and it was a good place to tuck it away. 
now I don't really care. Right now it's my Bixby screen or my like Microsoft news feed or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, that'll actually go nicely into, uh, well actually, yeah, leftmost screen and then side pullouts. So like the side pullouts, the key two had one for like, I think it was called like the productivity tab where it was like that you could do your notes and your hub and your calendar and some other things in there. Again, you like set it up and like mess around with it. It was like, oh, this, this should be helpful. And then never used it. It's never my first thought. My thought is always like, I need notification. I'm going to go to this app for this notification. I never think of, I'm going to use this like third party thing that catches it. I never think that. Mm-hmm. Um, notification, I go notification shade. If I need to make a note, I'll go to the notes. I don't go to a quick thing to make a note. I go to the notes app. Um, I don't know whether I'm weird like that, but that's just kind of what I do. I don't, think, um, I don't think you're weird. I think that's a like you know personal preference thing again. And then, well, it's a personal preference thing, but I, I I don't think I'm necessarily against using the quick option. I just I never think of it. It it's it's a strange workflow. It's like I set it up, and then I just don't touch it. Yeah. I don't know why I don't do it though, and like it'll be like a, a couple months go by, and I'll be like, oh, I forgot this widget was here. <laughs> Like, honestly, like, I had the Asana widget on there for months. I've never used that Asana widget. Like, I don't recall a single time using that Asana widget other than to set it up. And then I put the to-do app up there, like the Microsoft to-do app widget. I don't remember using that. I don't use it. I just use the app. It's, it's, I guess it's preference, but it's weird that I don't even think of it. It's not like I'm like, oh, I could use this widget, but I'd prefer to use the app. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to use the app. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't really know what's going on there, but, um... To get to the experiment that I'm doing, so I gra- I put this in the S8 Plus, and I'm, I'm going to try, and this goes back to the uh, conversation we had with Azar back a couple weeks ago. I'm going to I'm going to try to use the Microsoft ecosystem that they've created um, in tandem with their cloud and Android. So, like, obviously, like, their cloud is what I mean is, like, we're, the, we're on Office 365 for work or whatever it is. So, like, that's where all our work stuff is stored. And then, like, I have Office 365 personal, and I have like a bunch of Microsoft accounts and that type of stuff. So like for email and that type of thing, like for personal email. So like, I'm kind of like indoctrinated into the Microsoft ecosystem uh, and Microsoft plugs in really well to other apps like the BlackBerry hub for email. But what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to try to migrate over to everything Microsoft. So yesterday, for example, I installed and set up the Microsoft launcher and I have that all set up and I set up the leftmost screen. um, And I already found a pretty glaring problem. Microsoft has a to-do app, and when you install Microsoft Launcher, there's a Microsoft folder that I already had one, but it gets created generally, and it will show you app icons of apps that they suggest you download from Microsoft that you don't have, and it will also show you the ones, like, obviously, that you do have, like, Word and that. Um, in my case, there, like, I already had Microsoft to-do, and on the leftmost screen, there's, like, a to-do thing, so I was like, oh, okay. I'll add this to-do thing. And I noticed that it had these, like, placeholder to-dos, and it wasn't actually my to-do list. So I was like, okay, that's weird. So I'm like, I'll try to sync it, and I tried to update in that, and it wasn't working. So I was like, oh, I'll just, maybe it's loading or something. Like, I was just busy. So I was like, I'll just come back to it later. And I come back to it later, and it's still not synced. So I was like, okay. And I find out, as far as I know, again, I'm new to this. As far as I know, that to-do is separate from the Microsoft to-do app. And I could add the widget of the Microsoft to do app to that leftmost screen. You can add widgets to that leftmost screen. So I ended up adding that, but it's like, why is it that there's a to do in the Microsoft launcher that is not connected to Microsoft to do like what's going on there? It's weird. 
And there's a notes, there's a notes section. I haven't added it to my timeline thing, but there's a notes section. I don't think that's going to be connected to my notes that are connected to my email. I don't, I don't think it is. I've not tried it. No. I don't know what's happening. Um, It's not, what's happening is, uh, is the same thing as like Google. The company is too big and they don't talk to each other. So like, there's also uh, Outlook notes, right? Like, and or an outlook to do and they're not tied together either like it's it's a strange it's the strange thing that happens to larger companies where they're just like they're separate teams and they want to prove to the other team that they're better and they go up against them but they don't communicate so it's 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 weird and it happened like it's again that fragmentation thing like it's it's negative for the community but that's what happens with larger companies i guess well, yeah, there's like the traditional, there's like the traditional, like, you know, when you sign up for an email, you get contacts, calendar, and of course the email, and then there's like a notes, and there's like a tasks, and generally, you know, there's all these pieces of it. Uh, some of them are, you know, obviously lesser used. It's the email contacts calendar that's that's the big boys in it. But like, I did use the tasks, I did use this, I did use that, and it's 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 really, it's really weird to have things fragmented like that. Again, I am new to this, so like, I'm, I mean, I'm still messing around, and I, I do plan to report back. Because I haven't downloaded the Outlook app. So there's an Outlook app on Android, for example. And so right now I'm using BlackBerry Hub as my email client. But I want to just try the Outlook app. And I have in the past, but I had a weird problem with syncing calendar and uh, contacts. I think the contacts part was fixed. And it like more seamlessly integrates with the contact system on Android itself. Because um, like all my contacts are in the Microsoft cloud. Like that's where I keep my contacts. But I want my system calendar to match up with my outlook calendar and at last check which was years ago uh it absolutely did not or i couldn't get it to work at least so i mean the last time i tried it was on my g4 so i'm gonna give that probably another go that's probably my next step they also suggest i download swift key i don't know whether they own swift key or they what do. they do own swift key okay so i don't know like i don't know anything about that um i don't think i'm going to do that some stuff i don't think i'm going to do but you and I recently switched to Microsoft Teams, so that's another that's another piece uh, of the puzzle that's like completing my ecosystem, if you will. And then they have some Xbox stuff that's connecting to Alexa now. Uh, oh, she's going to talk to me probably now as I said her name. But um, so maybe I can get a more complete ecosystem going. And like since we've discussed that, I'm kind of interested in that. So that's kind of what I want from a phone. Like I don't want to keep going back to the ecosystem thing, but. I'm really curious about that. Like, it's a very key point to me is it's like, I want really good battery life. I want all this stuff. I don't really use these quick options. I use the apps, but I want the apps to be in an ecosystem. Another thing is I want the freaking camera to be good. If your camera's bad, I can't handle it. I can't, I can't handle it. Um, I take a lot of, I take a lot of photos now. It's like months will go by before I take a bunch of photos. Let's say like, maybe I'll take a photo here and there of like a serial number or something I need to remember. But it's like if I go out somewhere, I'm pretty like photo happy and like I take a lot of photos because it's just I'm just storing them online in the cloud anyway. And so like as a result, it's like I want to be able to store. I want to be able to have good photos on my phone. I want to be able to have the, the phone be like ready to point and shoot and just like click and go. Right. It's not like a DSLR where I mean, there's an auto mode on a DSLR, but I want to be able to just pull up my phone and quickly snap it. And if your photos are bad, I can't. Like, I don't want it. Like, it's become a, a vital part because I want good photos when I need them. I don't need them every day, but I do want them. And I want, like, good manual control and that type of thing. So that is an absolute must for me. Um, and 
I'm starting to become more media centric, I find. Mm-hmm. So it's like the BlackBerry 10 or the BlackBerry, like the Kitu had a smaller screen. And I found myself not really digesting much media, but I realized like video in that because it's a strange aspect ratio. But what I found, what I was like realized when I, when I was going through it is I actually do digest a fair bit of media on my phone. And I never really paid attention to that fact before. So it was like, it was kind of like a revelation where I was like, I'm going to go watch YouTube. And it's like, oh, but like, I'll just watch it on my TV because this screen is a strange aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I never really paid attention to that before. Like even on my G4, I never really digested too much media. But I guess as I, as, cause I had a passport, like a Blackberry passport before the, the, the G4. And like, so I always kind of had like a stranger aspect ratio cause I always had like a physical keyboard. And so now that I've like adjusted to this, I've adjusted to this other system to like this widescreen system, I guess if you will, I've like just, my habits have become different and therefore it's like, it's just different. Um, and like viewing photos and stuff, even it's like, I'm not, I don't want to take photos in this stranger aspect ratio so I can take it in 16 by nine, but then previewing it on the device isn't great. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting going back and forth between the two. It's like the key two is a great phone. The SA plus is a great phone. Um, and so I'm really excited about this particular Microsoft experiment because if I can get, Microsoft going good on here on this S8 plus maybe I can get a good going good on that on the key two and maybe I'll just go to the key two and have a great keyboard with all my Microsoft apps we'll see um but like I'm in the experimental phase so that's where I'm at with that um would you say Mike as a as a brief aside would you say that you consume media and do you like a couple of questions do you consume a lot of media on your phone and do you use a case Yes, and yes. And I wouldn't say, like, most of my media would be on my computer, probably. Uh, but I do consume a significant amount on my phone as well, whether that be reading articles or watching videos um, on YouTube or even some Netflix here and there. So, it, like, it's 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 big for me for having, A, good uh, a, a good screen, but, B, I also have learned that I need decent speakers because I'm not always around headphones and I'm not always the only one watching the stuff on my phone. Uh, sometimes my wife will watch with me. So, yeah, the speakers are semi-important for me. Screen is extremely important for sure. That's super interesting because it's like it's like I, I would say that our our habits just as like phone users, I guess, our, our habits have changed so much in the very in like such a short amount of time. It's like before I'd be like, oh, send me that video and I'll pull it up on my computer when I get home. And now it's like, oh, I'll just watch it here. Yeah, it's it's super it's super interesting. I think I think maybe social media has a bit a bit of a thing with that, uh, where it's like we're watching IGTV and all this like these short form videos and made Vine back in the day too. So it's like kind of like trained us to go to our phones and our phones are always on us anyway. But uh, yeah, so that's that's my requirements. I don't know whether you have anything else to say uh, about that, but I think that re- that's a really comprehensive look uh, at our like phone desires <laughs> yeah uh, I'll, I'll i agree with you i think we we covered it pretty good um definitely how i feel about it as well so yeah i i think we're good we're good for today's topic uh the only other thing i would say i just and it just popped into my head is that um if you so like a, a walled garden uh which would be like kind of the apple system i kind of exist in a walled garden because i don't change too much on my phone so I would probably be okay with an Apple phone, but it's weird because I have very few and they're random 
pet peeves where I can solve them on Android. Like, I hate this this file manager or something. I'm going to go download another one. So it's like, I want the file manager, but I, 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 like I, I literally hate the one that comes with the phone, let's say. So I'll buy, download another one. I have, and uh, I haven't experienced too many of these type of things. Like, that's just like a random example. But it's like, if I was on an, if I was on uh, an iPhone and it was like, I, I found a feature that I really hated and I couldn't fix it, I'd like be freaking out. But I'd probably just eventually bend. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I just, I think I'm, I think I'm becoming an old man where I just be like, oh, here's my phone. This is how it works. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm seriously interested in this launcher experiment. I've never really used a launcher mm-hmm. um, that didn't come with the phone uh, for a long period of time at all. I've tried like a couple of them. Nova launcher I've tried for like a day and I was like, all right, um, I don't want this. So we'll see. We'll see. This is going to be an interesting experiment and I'm sure we'll report back and probably a web news or just like a, a what's up this week. But uh, I think we're good to close out the episode here. So uh, thanks for listening. And make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can also follow us on all the socials. You can follow us at HTML All The Things for Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us at HTML Everything on Twitter. We're on Medium. We're on GitHub. And like I said, remember, we're on Reddit and we need your help with that. So make sure you send us an email, uh, basically like a job application, if you will. The email will be in the show notes. Remember, we're also on Patreon via patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Give that a go. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. 